The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Good morning. Today's scripture reading is from 1 Peter chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. Sorry, chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks, as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Well, good morning. When Doug came and asked me if I could preach on June the 11th, I was so excited. And I said, absolutely, I'll be so honored to get to do that. And he gave me the passage. And so I I pulled my Bible out and I read it and I thought, oh boy, (laughs) I get to preach on drunkenness, orgies, judgment, (laughs) and the end times. Okay, well, at least I'm the pastor of care. So (laughs) there's that. One of the greatest things about the Bible is that it just tells us the truth. It doesn't candy coat things. It, It helps us look at reality as it truly is. It helps us not pretend in life. And we need that. And Peter, as we've talked about, was talking a lot about suffering, in particular, suffering because of persecution, because Christians were being persecuted, and they needed help, and they needed hope. Well, many of y'all know I'm an Ole Miss rebel, and so I've got to ask a question, but I need to set things up uh, so that things go well. I'm going to ask a question in in a minute, but I need to get us ready. You see, most of us uh, have gone to or cheer for a college. You know, some of us hadn't, but many of us have. And if we live in a city like this, we get into college athletics. And so because I'm an Ole Miss rebel, I focus on the SEC and most of those colleges have cheers or sayings. Alabama says, roll tide. Auburn says, 
War Eagle. Tennessee says Rocky Top, Vanderbilt, Anchor Down, Mississippi State, Hell State, and Ole Miss says Hotty Toddy. Okay, well, that comes from our signature cheer, which is used in all of our sporting events and in other places on the square. It will sometimes just happen in a crowd. Um, And it's a cheer that's used to gear us up, to get us excited. At the football games on the Jumbotron, uh, every time a celebrity will start the cheer with the signature call to the cheer, which is, now Ole Miss Rebels don't go into the cheer. (laughs) It's a little inappropriate. (laughs) But the celebrity will say, are you ready? And then the cheer takes off. Now, it's a cheer to connect us. It's a cheer to get us excited. It's a cheer to say to the teams, hey, you're not alone. We're here for you. We're here with you. We're ready to go. We got your back. We're your family. You're ours and we're yours. If Peter were here today, I think he would say he's an Ole Miss rebel. (laughs) Because in our passage, he says to us as Christians, he says to the church, are you ready? And the church says, we're here. We're with you. We're your family. You're ours and we're yours. We got you. Gear up. Because they were facing persecution and they needed that and they needed hope. And it was about to get worse and Peter knew it. And so he says, are you ready? And he says, be ready by being armed first. Look at verses one through three. First, Peter calls, or Peter calls us in his letter to uh, this group of Christians, be ready, be armed. Jesus was born into a life of suffering, born to poor parents. You remember it. They had to settle for a stall and a trough for a hospital and a delivery room. The Bible says that he never had a place to lay his head. And then as he taught and as he ministered and he's moved about the religious rulers and Rome got so angry and upset with him that they had him crucified. Talk about a life of suffering. But Jesus willingly came to do this. He willingly took this on. The scriptures explain that Jesus came to suffer and die so that he could save sinners like you and like me. He came knowingly. He came for the purpose of being persecuted. So Peter's talking to Jesus's people in this passage and he asks, now rebels, settle down. Are you ready? And he says, look to one another and look to the word. And the Bible tells us first, first Peter says in verses one through three, arm yourselves. Now, 
This is a military term. This is a term of action. It's kind of like, you remember those bracelets that went about and, and the statement, what would Jesus do? We need some that says, what would Jesus think? Because he says, arm yourself with the thinking of Christ. Put the mind of Christ in your mind and in your heart. Gear up. Put your weapons on. Get ready for the fight. Get ready. We're in a war. You remember how Paul put it in Ephesians 6 when he told Christians to put on the whole armor of God. And he talks about each piece that was needed and each piece that a soldier needed to wear in the battle. It's a world that is so much stronger. It's a word that's so much stronger than just knowing the facts, just believing in it. It is working it out in our lives, massaging it down from our minds into our hearts so that it takes hold of us, so that we live it out, that we act it out, that we sacrifice us for it, the mind of Christ. Where do we find the mind of Christ? In God's word, he's given us his word. Now, maybe you're like me and you're a recovering Pharisee, that is, a rules guy. And what has helped me as I work on the mind of Christ is, yes, it's the Bible. Yes, it's the word of God. Yes, we could say things like the living word, the scriptures. But do you know what it really is? Do you know what gets to the foundation of it? It's God's love letter to his people to help us in the world that we live in, so that we know him, so that we know us, so that we understand the world that we live in. You see, because Peter knows that suffering and persecution is coming, and you know how that works on us, don't you? He knew how it worked on him. You remember Peter, he denied Christ three times. He understood how hard it is at times when the pressure is on. And the spotlight is on you. And suffering hits and hard slams you in the face. And we're tempted to think, has God left me? Does God love me? Is he powerful or is he powerless? Does he even care? Is he asleep at the wheel? Peter says, are you ready? Be ready, gear up, get ready. So how do we know if we are indeed truly armed? Look at verses two and three. Live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. We know because we will live for God's will. The Bible tells us there are two ways to live. One is the world's way, or one is to live for self, or the other is God's way and to live in the will of God, to do things his way, live for the things of this world or live for the things of God. First Peter one, put it this way, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former life, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Or first Peter two, beloved, I urge you, as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. We know that we are armed, we are, 
when we stop sinning, now the Bible tells us, and Peter clearly understands this, we will never be perfect. We will never completely cease from sinning. What he's talking about here is that our hearts and minds change from wanting to serve ourselves to wanting to serve God. We quit living for our glory and we pursue the glory of God. We cease from wanting to sin. Our heart of hearts deeply desires to please God, not to run from him. We begin to want to be holy. In Christ, the law of God becomes a beautiful thing, not this heavy weight that scares us, that makes us afraid. Can we be honest? Who in here thinks of God as an old man ogre in the sky? Now, my heart of hearts knows that's not true. But I'll go to the hospital and experience an incredible situation where someone's dying and I see the peace of God and you can't explain that away. Somebody not afraid, looking forward to being in heaven with Jesus. And I walk away just with chills at seeing the reality of the good news of the gospel played out even in the face of death. And then I'll catch the light out of the hospital and get mad at him. Isn't that crazy? But that's our bent. Because we're a fallen people, sin wears on us, wears us out. But in Christ, it is no longer our master. In Christ, we no longer want to be enslaved by the things of this world. Now, Peter lists several things in verse three. When this change happens, to us, when we begin through taking the mind of Christ and pursuing the will of God, we look at things like our sex lives and we do it differently. We let the Bible dictate and determine how we do that, how we care for our bodies and how we see that. We understand the Bible does say wine makes the heart glad but we quit wanting to use wine to cover up our pain and to bear burdens we have in our hearts so that we don't have to deal with them. We quit lawlessly idolizing food. Turns out a bag of Reese's peanut butter cups at midnight is not very healthy. And it doesn't help a weight issue. But sometimes I use it because I'm anxious. And it helps me deal with my anxiety. You do that? Or maybe you use food like me or health. Do you overexercise? Does the amount of exercise determine how you feel about yourself, your identity? Or maybe it's money, or academics, or comfort, or your job, or your social place, or your business, or politics, or the news. Do those things hold the throne of your heart? Peter says, 
Get rid of them. Take on the mind of Christ. Let his will rule and reign in your life because those things are horrible gods. They will leave you empty and angry and frustrated and hurting and depressed. Peter says, are you ready? Turn and chase and follow and live out the will of God. Before we came here, we worked, I worked in Augusta, Georgia at First Presbyterian Church and Dr. Ray Ortland was a senior pastor here. He came here in Nashville. That's how we got to Nashville. But when we were in Augusta, he is a linguistic specialist. I mean, he is a language guru. And I remember walking into the office one time and his assistant said, Todd, I I need your help. And I could tell she was frazzled and worked up and worried. And I said, oh, absolutely. What's going on? What's the matter? And she said, well, I just got a phone call and it was weird. It said, this is the White House is Dr. Ortland in. We had a lot of funny and fun people. And oftentimes they would try to get us, you know, and play jokes on us. And so she was in a quandary. We were in a quandary. Is this a joke or is this serious? So we talked about it. We debated over what to do. And we both kind of got to the place and thought, well, it's probably a joke, but if it really is the president calling, we probably should let Ray know. So we did, and he laughed and thought it was going to be a joke too. And he called the number that the gal on the phone gave him. And sure enough, it said, this is the White House. And he got through, and uh, the president at the time, George W. Bush, wanted him to come and help be on a spiritual committee that he had created. We were so thankful that we told him. But for a moment there, when he figured out it was real, he had a whole week planned. This was the beginning of the week. And so what do you think he said? Hey, sorry, Mr. President, I don't have time for you. I've got all these things planned out. He rearranged his whole schedule to go help the President of the United States. How much more so should you and I rearrange our schedules so that we can take on the mind of Christ, so that we can learn how he thinks, what he thinks, and do it. We can do that as we spend time with Jesus. See, the amazing thing about Christianity, it's not a set of rules, although sometimes we can make it out to be that, and sometimes in our sinful nature, we feel that it's that, but it's not. It's not about a bunch of rules. Now, grace does have standards, but it's more about a relationship with the king of the universe. A relationship through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came and willingly took on suffering and persecution for his people. And so, Peter calls us, make time to understand and grow in the mind of Christ so that you can be geared up and take action to walk in the will of God. Well, Peter again is writing to a group of people, Christians that are in a world that hated them and that were experiencing some hard suffering, some harsh persecution, and it was gonna get worse for him. And so he comforts them with this. Look at, 
Look at verses five and six. Now, this is a hard topic. It's a scary topic. It's a fearful topic. But because of the gospel, for those who walk in the will of Christ, it's a beautiful thing. Judgment is not a popular topic. We don't like to talk about sin and judgment, but we have to, we need to. It's healthy to. And so Peter says, look at, look at five, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. In verse Six, this is how R.C. Sproul puts it. He is not talking about Jesus preaching to dead spirits. He is saying Jesus preached the gospel and many of those who heard him and believed had since died. So their battle was over. Their victory was won because they trusted in Jesus. From a biblical standpoint, there are only two conditions in which someone dies, in the faith or out of the faith. We die in faith or we die in sin. Every day we are judged by people, sometimes fairly and sometimes unfairly, sometimes graciously and sometimes without grace. Yet any judgment made about us is in this world, good or bad, ultimately does not count because it is a judgment made in the flesh. The only judgment that counts is the judgment of God. So we are to live not according to the judgment of people, but according to God in the spirit. Truth be told, we don't want a God that doesn't punish sin. We don't want a God that doesn't judge evil because then evil would triumph. Wrong could become right. We've seen that in human history. We want a God who doesn't sweep sin and transgressions under the carpet. But it does put us in a quandary because the Bible says we're all born sinners. We're all born sinful. But what's the Bible really about? But God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ for sinners like you and like me. Everyone will be held to account. We will too. And we should be, we can be thankful for that in Christ. And so God will judge sin, but he has made a way for sinners like you and like me to be saved. Jesus came and he lived a perfect life because we can't. And he died a criminal's death so that our sin could be paid for. He hung on the cross and God the Father poured out his righteous, just wrath. He took our judgment on himself. He paid what we owed. And so the judge of the universe in Christ as a believer is robed in Christ's righteousness, looks at us and he sees the sinlessness of Christ and he says, not guilty. It should spur us on to evangelism. It should spur us on to go and tell sinners the good news that we have a God who does not allow evil to triumph. He will not let evil go unpunished. And yet, he's loving. 
and he has made a way so that we can have peace with a holy and righteous and just God. When I was about 11 years old, I went to a camp And at that time, I didn't know Jesus. And I told you, I'm a recovering Pharisee. I was a rules guy. And I was going to help ladies across the street. And I was going to say, yes, ma'am. And yes, sir. And do this and do that. Whatever was right, I wanted to know what it was so I could do it. Because I wanted to be good enough. And I'll tell you, it wore me out. And as a camper, I was sitting there sleeping and my counselor would wake me up. It it was still dark. He kept going out in the middle of the morning or night. I couldn't tell. And I finally got the courage of to say, Steve, his name was Steve Hill. Why in the world are you getting up when it's still dark? You're waking me up, the creaking of the... And he said, Todd, because I got to go spend time with my Lord and Savior Jesus before the day hits. Because if I don't, I won't get to. And I said, well, what, what does that mean? And he explained it and I said, well, Steve... What if I'm not good enough? I thought, you know, he'll be comforting. He'll be sweet. He'll tell me what to do. And he said, oh, you can't be. I was like, oh my gosh. (laughs) He said, yeah, it's impossible. You'll never be able to be good enough. And I panicked, you know, I think he could see it. And he said, but Todd, it's okay. You see, the whole point of the Bible is that Jesus is good enough. Jesus was good enough. And so, yeah, one day you, you will face God and, and he will, uh, you will either pay for your sin or you can give your heart, you can give your life, you can rest in the good work, the perfect work of Jesus. Do you want to do that? And I did. And that Sunday... I heard my first sermon. It was on Joseph. What God, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. I'll never forget it. Because it was no longer this thing I had to endure and get through. And I think in Mississippi when we went to church, oh my gosh, the preacher's going to go long and we're going to miss the kickoff. (laughs) For the saints. (laughs) The saints. And it was different because I was different. Because all we have to do, this holy, just, righteous, perfect judge is good and loving and he sent his son to die for our sins. All we have to do is ask him into our hearts, armed, judged, and called. You see, Peter says, hey, listen, Don't forget, you, you're in a community. You're a part of the church. You're a part of the body of believers. And he has called you to be an army, to be a family, to be a covenant community. And Peter says, and this is how you're supposed to live that out. Be self-controlled and sober-minded because the end is near. Now, Dan Doriani put it this way. About these verses, the gospel is proclaimed because all of humanity will be judged. And this is significant because the end of all things is near. The world as we know it is fraught with ambiguity at best and misery at worst and will not continue forever. When the age age ends, Jesus will return and overthrow sin and establish a new order. Then creation will reach its proper end. This end 
is near. Not chronologically, because that can be confusing. It's not a chronological thing, but a theological thing. Peter asserts that the end was near almost 2,000 years ago, so we know it's not chronological. But he was right, because we've been brought into the final phase of God's plan of redemption because of the resurrection of Christ. See, he did die on the cross, but on the third day, he got up and walked out, defeating sin and defeating death. And when this age ends, Jesus will return to overthrow sin and establish the new order. The heavens and the earth will be put together. And so we're to live in light of that as the family of God, as a covenant community and be self-controlled and sober-minded. See things as they really are and remember that we serve a, a sovereign God and he's in control even though it doesn't feel like it sometimes. And we're to love one another deeply, earnestly. This is a love that we choose. And y'all, come on, we know we're a big old mess. One of the things that I like to remind myself is, you know, when, we, when I walk in here, we look nice, neat, and pretty. You look incredibly nice, neat, and pretty. But I know you're not. And I hope you know I'm not. My sin is so bad, I'm so sinful that Jesus, the Son of God, who was in heaven and rightly being worshiped, had to leave to come rescue me. He had to come and become a man and live a life as a man so that he could be my substitute, your substitute, the Lamb of God come to take away the sins of the world. And so he says to his people, love with resolve. Love when your family members hard to love. Don't you give in, don't you give up. It's like our cheer in Vault Hemingway Stadium. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm here. I'm with you. Let's gear up. I got you and you got me. Peter says, so hospitality without grumbling. Oh man. Do people look at us? Do people look at you and go, I've never seen that kind of joy before in my life. What is that? Who are they? Peter says, gear up. Hospitality is hard. Hospitality is burdensome. Amazing that that's the video we showed today. You know what it'll do though? It'll change your heart. You see, Peter says, lastly, use your gifts to serve. All these things are what? They're service oriented. Jesus said, I came to serve, not be served. It's so hard not to focus on ourselves. And yet that will eat us alive. Service helps us take our gaze off of ourselves and off of our pain and give it away. And we get to do it with one another. We get to do it with our friends and with our families. And we are to be, Peter says, a picture of heaven, a holy community, whereby the world can look in and go, what is that? I've never seen love like that. I don't understand it. I gotta go check that out. Now, we are gonna be persecuted for it. It is different. Peter says, hey, they're gonna malign you. They're not gonna understand 
Don't get angry. Go share the gospel. Remember who wrote us this letter? Peter. Do you remember how he dies? He too was crucified and he didn't want to be crucified like Jesus. And so he said, you're going to have to crucify me upside down. That's what Jesus can do in the heart of a struggling sinner. Love, serve, die to self. Rest in Jesus. Trust in him. Throw your mind and your heart into his hands and let him mold you and make you and shape you and enable you. See, when we do his will, it is hard. But when we don't, those other gods, they break us. They wear us out. They wear us down. That's why we get so anxious and we struggle so. Run to Jesus because he, he is coming back. And we can rest in that hope. We can celebrate that reality. You know, when I was in seminary, we had this man from Africa come and preach to us. And I'll never forget this. He said, you know what? Y'all don't talk about heaven and you don't talk about Jesus' return enough. He said, where I come from, there's not any McDonald's. He said, here, there's a McDonald's on every corner. He said, where I come from, I have to talk about heaven. I have to talk about the return of Christ. And I have to pray, Father, give us this day our daily bread. Because if I don't and he doesn't, I'll have to go hungry that day. Heaven's true. And Jesus is coming back. And when he does, he's going to make things the way they're meant to be. He's going to make things the way they're supposed to be. Listen, we're going to celebrate the wedding supper of the Lamb. He's a partying God. It just doesn't feel like that sometimes. So Peter says, get ready. Are you ready? Christ Presbyterian Church, let's go. Let's go. Walk in the mind of Christ and do his will with our lives and with one another and glorify him and all these things. Would you pray with me? I will arise and go to Jesus. He will embrace me in his arms. In the arms of my dear Savior, oh, there are ten thousand charms. Come ye thirsty, come and welcome God's Free bounty, glorify, true belief and true repentance, every grace that brings you nigh. 
Come ye weary, heavy laden, lost and ruined by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. I will arise and go to Jesus. He will embrace me in his arms in the arms of my dear Savior. Oh, there are ten thousand charms. Father, we're so grateful for your goodness and your kindness to us. Help us to live in light of those things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.